Investigations is the purpose of the FBI. We don't write term papers. We go talk to people, we do investigations, and if we find crimes, then we arrest them, we take them to jail, we prosecute them with the DOJ. That's the purpose of the entity. So to argue otherwise is either ignorant or it's uh, being disingenuous. And I don't care which one it is because both are wrong. Hey, my friends, we have with us uh, someone very special today. We have Carl Serafin. He is the former FBI agent who has become the FBI whistleblower who revealed now a few weeks ago this memo, internal memo of the FBI targeting traditional Catholics, traditional Latin mass Catholics, whom they suggested we should infiltrate and so on and so forth. We're going to be talking to Kyle about that, yes, but also what's been going on since then. What has he seen? How has this been done? We've heard it's been retracted following the release of the news that this memo was out there, it was apparently retracted. But it was, of course, criticized by 20 attorneys general right away. And while they retracted it, we're going to find out from Kyle that not really. More on that later. But I wanted to give you some background first, because this has been an ongoing weaponization of Biden's federal government against Catholics, but not only Catholics, pro-lifers in general, but Catholics very specifically. LifeSite news readers may remember in 2018, while there was things going on from the Hillary Clinton leaked emails and all of that, you had already then some FBI agents. Do you remember Peter Strzok? He was an FBI agent at the time. He was very anti-Trump. He had a wife and he had a mistress actually inside the FBI. And we learned this from the leaked emails. His mistress was FBI attorney Lisa Page. They were talking back and forth in 2016. And we have the emails, so we know that. And they were totally trashing pro-life Americans. And they were doing so in their private text messages. But you got an inside glimpse back then into the reality of the FBI hatred. And I do mean hatred um, for pro-lifers. And that's why you can see this animosity towards uh, traditional Catholics. And it's mentioned right in the memo that it's about their anti-abortion beliefs. Well, listen to these text messages between the two so-called lovers or whatever um, that were released, you know, along with the thousands of others by the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. The Chief Oversight Committee of Congress, and that was part of that investigation, as I mentioned, into uh, Hillary Clinton's misuse of government email and the FBI looking into it. FBI agent Strzok said, effing marchers making traffic problems. He's referring, of course, to the March for Life and those marching in the March for Life. So he says, effing marchers making traffic problems. And then FBI attorney Page responds, yeah, some extremely offensive video screens set up in front of district. I truly hate these people. No support for the woman who actually has to spend the rest of her life rearing this child, but we care about life, assholes. I and mean, I'm sorry for the language, but those are the words contained right in their texting back and forth. FBI agent Strzok then responds, hey, I have an idea. Snow emergency. Cancel the permit. So you can see right away the actual hatred for pro-lifers and now the hatred for traditional Catholics right in the inside of the FBI, and we get these glimpses of their internal uh, documents. Therefore, it's no surprise that the FBI showed up like with a huge SWAT team at Mark Houck's home, and his seven kids were so traumatized along with his wife. And it wasn't only Mark Houck 
We were there with Mark Houck in his home and showed you that. But there was also Paul Vaughn, another father of 11 kids, who the FBI, too, came to his place and traumatized his kids. Take a look at uh, Paul Vaughn's appearance on Tucker. But you're not allowed to unleash the FBI on an entire religion, are you? Absolutely not. And, and don't think because they've been trained that makes it okay. When, when, I, when my kids go out to the car to go to school and the FBI pulls up armed, running to the door, and one of them goes to the kids and holds the kids with a long gun aside of my driveway and does not let them go into the house, that is absolutely, as my wife said in the video, unacceptable. And so there I'm needs gonna, to be accountability. Well, it's, it's one of the most shocking things I think I've ever seen. I, I have to ask you, so the FBI, the Department of Justice, I can barely say that phrase with a straight face, is claiming that you're a, a, a violent extremist who is a physical threat to others. Do you embrace violence? Have you ever committed violence? What are they talking about? No, I have no idea. That's, yeah. There's absolutely no evidence of that. Other, the only place that is ever even seen is in the documents that they made up and uh, used to justify in their mind and through the um, justice system, the ones that signed off on this needed some yeah. kind of justification in their own minds to, uh, to go after peaceful people yep. that disagreed with them politically. When we now learn about this FBI memo uh, from the guy who exposed it himself, from Kyle Servan, who will be with us just right now, um, keep in mind the background. The background of those internal to the FBI, where there is literally a disease, a disease of hating Americans who are pro-life, Americans who are traditional Catholics. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, LifeSite friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Each round is stamped on the back with an image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, we feature LifeSite's logo, surrounded by brilliant sunbursts and draped with olive branches, and each round commemorates LifeSite's 25 years of pro-life, pro-family reporting in America, Canada, and beyond. These one troy ounce rounds are 0.999 pure silver, and LifeSite has just under 10,000 in stock. They're beautiful, historic, and forever enshrining the most important American pro-life victory of a generation. This first edition LifeSite Silver Round is the perfect gift for yourself or anyone you love that collects precious metals and is passionately pro-life. And each purchase helps directly fund LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. This is the first precious metals collectible of its kind that is directly supporting LifeSite's worldwide mission that you know, love, and trust. And now it can be yours while limited supplies last. Get your one troy ounce rounds of 99% pure silver today by clicking the first link below and celebrate life with all of us at LifeSite News. Kyle Serafin, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, John. I'm happy to be here. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Kyle, you have really blown up the internet. I was actually in Africa when this broke, and uh, 
all I could see was, oh my gosh, the, the FBI is coming after traditional Latin mass Catholics. What? Come on. So, you know, we're, we're deal- looking at what's going on. And it's really funny because internally at LifeSite, the chat about what's going on with the FBI now is labeled the Kyle Serafin chat. And uh, so our reporters are going back and forth, learning what's going on. I'm in Africa reading this. I saw your original podcast on it and just stunning. Before we even get there, the latest news is that this stuff, despite being officially withdrawn, is actually still being bettered about in the office. As of Wednesday evening, that's last week Wednesday, you have this still going on. In fact, trending. Tell us about that. Well, the FBI says one thing and uh, they do whatever it is that they do. So this is not the first time that we've seen this in a whistleblower scenario where, you know, we'll come out with a revelation and and I've got a small group of people that uh, report with me and and we go to Congress and and I've been taking it to the American public and the the news media in general because I think this is everybody's information at this point. But what they'll do is they'll go... um, you know, what you've said is categorically false. And then we'll produce the receipts, like the documents that you saw. And then they'll go, we take this very seriously. And that's sort of the move that happens. It's just, it's it's a silliness that happens when you're inside of an intelligence agency that they think that they're unaccountable and they don't think that we have eyes. What they don't realize is that I have people looking at everything and they're equally appalled. That's why they came to me with it. So um, I had an intelligence analyst in one of the field offices and I've got visibility into a bunch of different field offices at this point because they are frustrated. And uh, I just got a little, it said like, hey, Kyle, heads up. Not only has this document not been rescinded, it's actually trending on the Intel portal. They've got like a little widget that says the top three Intel products that are being looked at. Now, my guess is, and because I know people in the FBI, and there are good people there, that's, that's, um, that is absolutely the case. So uh, what I believe is, is that people are going, I cannot believe this is real. And then they find it and they're all looking for it. And enough people are looking for it. And now they don't have to go looking because it's actually in the, in the widget that says it's the number two of the, of the top three that are trending in the bureau. So they're looking at it. I assume with disgust, but I, I can't rule out that there are some people that are going like, well, well, this is, you know, what we should be doing. So, you know, there's a little bit of both. That's that's the culture of the FBI. It's not monolithic. There's a lot of Catholics in there that are uh, that are disgusted. Some that have reached out to me and called me and said, "Tell me who wrote that document so I can call them personally." And I said, "Well, I, I can't do that. <laughs> like, one, I, don't, I was redacted before it got to me on purpose, and uh, and two, I, I don't think I would reveal that because I just that's just not what we need to be doing. But we need to do is shame the institution as a as a whole for what it has allowed to happen under its watch." And then, um, you know, the fact that there are individuals that are participating in that, that's to be expected. It's the job of the leadership and the management to fix the culture, which is very woke um, on the, at least on the Intel cadre. And as I mentioned, I think yesterday on Twitter, it tells you how out of touch the FBI's Intel cadre is with real people in America. And that's the difference between being a frontline agent who goes out and shakes hands with people and leaves a business card. And and I, I put my face and my name to what I'm doing versus somebody who sits in an office all day and writes essentially term papers about how Catholics are maybe white supremacists and that they're anti-Semitic, which is bizarre. Now that we've got the latest news out, there's more I want to talk to you about. But before we do that, I want to back up for a second. Who are you? Who is Kyle Serafin? You're obviously a very knowledgeable Catholic, but where do you come from and what's your background? So I grew up in uh, California for a couple of years, and then I moved to Texas. And my family bounced back and forth between Texas and California. And I grew up in a, a family where my dad was in charge of uh, radio stations. He was the news director of the uh, flagship station of KCBS, uh, that's CBS Radio on the on the West Coast, uh, when I was born. And uh, incidentally, and kind of like some one of those loops where you close it back up, now that I'm actually doing things and sitting in front of a microphone, it's pretty bizarre. But actually, my first job out of college, uh, I worked for like this ergonomic furniture company, and I went to go sell furniture 
to my dad's old radio station and they hired me on from my original job to sell airtime. So I actually worked at the same station at, you know, 23 years old that my dad was running when I was a kid. Um, so that's how it was. I, I grew up in the Catholic church. My dad is uh, a one of five children. My mother is one of eight, kind of a Catholic background. I'm one of six. I'm uh, the oldest of uh, my dad's brood. My dad actually got one of those rare annulments that happened in, uh, in the late seventies, um, which was not common at the time. And, uh, and so I have an older half brother and, uh, and then I've got, uh, you know, five total siblings grew up in parochial schools. I went to uh, Cistercian schools in fifth and sixth grade where I actually learned Latin. Unlike many Catholics these days, don't pick that up. Uh, and then in uh, seventh and eighth, I went back to parochial schools. And then by the time I was in high school, I went to a Jesuit high school for four years, which was a relatively conservative Jesuit high school at the time. I'm sure it is not today. That's kind of the nature of how Jesuits run, but, uh, I learned Latin for the, another four years there. Um, you know, participated in the National Latin Club and things like that. So I'm I am familiar with a very traditional uh, Catholic background. The uh, the Cistercian school that I went to, they used to actually you know do Gregorian chant from the from the sideways at the risers on either side of the altar, and it was a very austere service of just stone and a wooden roof and nothing else, um, and very simple wooden pews. And I and I always found that to be very comforting, despite the fact that there are no creature comforts in it. I, I like that uh, version of the mass. Um, and then professionally, you know, I was in uh, corporate sales for a little while. I, I worked for a financial and uh, analytical position at a movie studio. I worked for Warner Brothers in Hollywood, which was interesting. Uh, I joined the military when I was 27 because I felt kind of without a rudder and I felt like I needed some guidance. So I took a big pay cut and uh, went in and enlisted as a 27-year-old guy with a college degree. I did that for a couple of years, got out. I worked as a paramedic. Uh, so my my human experience is very broad, I think, compared to a lot of people, a lot of people in the FBI for sure. You know, I've put my hands on people who have died. You know, I've seen people that were trying to die and we stopped it. And um, I've, I've gone out there and made big sales. I sold $20 million worth of computers when I worked for, uh, for Dell Incorporated. And then all those things led me uh, in 2016 to attending the FBI Academy at Quantico. And uh, so I went there as a 35-year-old, uh, married, uh, no children at the time, but we had a child slightly thereafter. And, uh, and so that was kind of a, a much later join up. And I think that's why I saw some of the issues that I saw, because, you know, when you're a grown up, you can throw the BS flag on things that you've seen because you have the life experience and the confidence that, look, you know, I've, I've been without a paycheck. I've been without a home. I've slept in a car for a week. You know, I've I've done I've had negative five hundred dollars in my bank account for a month and had nowhere to do. And I didn't know how to eat and I was going to feed myself. So when you've done things like that, the idea of facing down the FBI is a lot less scary. And then I went to the, you know survival school and stuff like that when I was in the Air Force. So I, I was well conditioned for this. My wife said, you know, you didn't go to the the uh, the war that we had in Afghanistan and Iraq, you didn't deploy for those things, which I didn't, but you were well suited for this type of war, which is very different. It's on the American soil and it's an information war and it's, um, it's less physical and it's more mental. Um, and a lot of the mental pressure that comes down is, you know, if you, unless you're a complete psychopath, you have to always ask yourself. And I ask myself all the time, did I get this wrong? You know, did I miss the boat on this? Am I the guy who's failing? And over and over again, and I think this is God's plan, is that I'm constantly given this, this reassurance. It's like, I'll, I'll ask myself that question in the morning and I'll have doubts and I'll wake up and somebody will call me and say, hey, I'd like to report some sexual misconduct in our office about this person. And you go, okay, it's, it, there's so much of it. There's so many things on so many levels that I'm being reassured with um, that I do feel like this is you know a spiritual path as well as, uh, as a corruption, you know, anti, anti-corruption government uh, cleanup path. What is your podcast? Where can people find you? 
It is called the Kyle Serafin Show, uninventably named, but uh, easy to uh, discover. Uh, if you search my name on any of the, the podcast apps, whether it be Spotify or Apple or um, Amazon Music or all those kind of things, it pops up. And then we're on Rumble, which is just rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. I have yet to put anything on YouTube. I feel like I'll be censored there, but I'm about to. I think I'm going to just give it a shot. We'll see what God says and and see if the people there have their have their hearts turned. And we don't say anything that I can't back up. So that's one of the big things. Like I said, I like to expose people to the truth of there are good people in the FBI and the ones that will speak to me are wonderful people. And they are also doing so at you know personal risk uh, for their own finances and their own careers. So they can find us there. And if they like it and they can subscribe and, and get more of it, we're trying to make more and more. I've upgraded my microphone in the last week. Cause I just feel like this is, you know, rather than a, a physical weapon when I was in the military or, or carrying a handgun, when I was in the, the FBI, this is the weapon right now. It's the weapon of word and, uh, and hopefully of truth. Let's unpack it for all those who might've been living under a rock for the past couple of weeks. What did you discover and uh, what's in it? What I had was an FBI employee come to me, and this is someone who has uh, enough seniority, well, let's be vague about it, but 15 plus years, it's more than that, um, in the FBI and a, and a reputable source of information, somebody that I've known for a little while, um, not a Catholic, but was alerting me to this intelligence product. And the way that people can think of an intelligence product, it's like I said, it's like a term paper, but it does help guide intelligence investigations. It helps um, describe what, what the FBI would call the threat landscape or the threat picture, both in the country and then in the area specifically that it was at. This was out of the Richmond field office. And this document was written by an intelligence analyst that is a you know, college degree minimum, sometimes master's, um, in this case, I think it was a little bit younger individual who sits at a desk and looks at intelligence reports, what they call raw intelligence. This is, um, you know, sources saying certain things and news articles and so on, and then does an analysis. And this is what's called a finished piece, which is means it comes with analysis. And the analysis of this piece, which is a, which known as a, a domain awareness product, which is to say all the Richmond area, stated that there are mitigation opportunities in the form of public and then also confidential human source recruitment in the Catholic Church, specifically in what they refer to as the radical traditionalist Catholic. Um, and they make a distinction there between radical traditionalist Catholics and traditional Catholics who are Latin mass goers, TLM fans, you know, uh, the uh, pre-Vatican II uh, mentality. And I don't know that there is such a distinction because I've been in the Catholic Church for 41 years and you know, I've, I've come and gone from the from attending mass when I was younger. I, I got frustrated and I was actually frustrated in 2020, as you and I talked about with some of the uh, responses to COVID. But it's, uh, you know, my wife was baptized after 40 years of being an atheist um, last year at Easter. And that is a really powerful experience for someone as a husband and as a father uh, to see the mother of your children come and say, this is the church I'm going to be part of. And, you know, now she doesn't know if she should watch shows that have vampires on them. She thinks it might be sacrilegious. So she's gone so far, um, you know, her, her personal journey has really uh, inspired me. And so I'm looking at this and I go like, you know, I, I like the Latin mass. I think it's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. And I was a, uh, an altar server. I, I ran an altar server society um, when, I was in high, when I was in middle school. Uh, and, you know, we used all of the, uh, the, the forms of the high mass because I had so many altar servers that we had to fill all the positions. So it was amazing. And, and you look at this and, and that's what the FBI is looking at for to find white supremacists. This is where they think there's common cause. And the danger in that document is it's an attempt, I think, it's a pry bar to open up a door, not just to Catholics in general, which is 70 million of us in the, in the United States alone, um, but to Christians as a whole. Because the the, the statement that the, the writer makes is that there is, quote unquote, common cause between these, what they call um, racially motivated violent extremists, which we'll know as white supremacists, um, and radical traditional Catholics because of their stances on, get ready for it, abortion, 
LGBTQ issues, um, legal immigration, and then randomly thrown in there is anti-Semitism, which I've never experienced anti-Semitism in the Catholic church. Maybe it exists, but I haven't seen it. I just don't know. Like the people that are the most devout Catholics tend to be very loving and open and warm people. And I don't think that they have any beef with the, the Jewish people in this country. Uh, but So th that's a strange thought. But drawing that circle around those particular rights is a pry bar, I believe, to get access to. And, and here's the thing. Hopefully we nipped it in the bud. It mentions in the document, very proudly, I might add, that it's the first of its kind in the FBI. And there's a reason for that. And because it's it's off limits, that's an off limits realm. The the American uh, Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights specifically, the First Amendment tells us that the government does not have a say. It remains agnostic about religion, and it doesn't get to get into like theological discussions on whether a radical traditional or a traditional Catholic exists and what that line is, and whether or not that's a white supremacist line. Which, by the way, you're actually allowed to be a white supremacist in the United States. Also, that's actually not a crime. So having the FBI investigate that stuff is incredibly dangerous. Uh, and so that's that's the gist of what went on. Before we go further, there's one point that shows an utter lack of any kind of sanity, even. The fact that they're using abortion as an indicator of racism is actually the opposite. So anybody who looks at abortion in the United States, especially, but all over the world, knows that the whole practice was started as a racist, eugenicist measure to get rid of, you guessed it, black people. So how in the world are they seeing this with, by the way, African-Americans leading the charge on getting rid of abortion because it targets their own communities, and yet they're seeing that as an indication of some kind of uh, racist attitude. It's unreal. It's exactly the opposite. So a quick anecdote, my wife and I were married in Austin, Texas. We lived on the east side of the, the freeway there. And people who have been to Austin know that the, the university is on the west side. And then when you get east of I-35, you end up in um, some of the more developing neighborhoods. But they were kind of the fun places for hipsters and things like that. And so my wife and I lived there. And as we would walk around in that neighborhood, if you went north of uh, First Street or Cesar Chavez, you would be in a predominantly black neighborhood. And that's where you would end up on MLK. And uh, and that's the, the road that runs through there. It's also an east-west road. And it's the only Planned Parenthood that you could find in the main part of Austin. And it's in a black neighborhood on purpose. And so, you know, the the placement of product uh, of this particular product, you know, this Planned Parenthood uh, clinics, um, they're very deliberate, as you mentioned. And so people can experientially see that. But what I do think is there's a secular religion right now that's that's um, being promulgated by leftists in the United States. Um, you know, I, I don't like using the word Democrat because a lot of them are not necessarily Democrats or even traditional Democrats. And I don't have any political inkling on it. What I have is a uh, like a good versus bad, and that tends to be um, a leftist versus Americans. Like I would actually, centrists and people who have other ideologies, like don't bother me at all. But when you believe in the, uh, that abortion is a sacrament, which is the way that it is argued for in a very secular way, that it's not just something that when I was a kid, it was the safe, legal and rare argument. And so, you know, I think a lot of people you know, Catholics were doing this before it was cool. They were they were doing the March for Life when nobody else knew about it, right? Uh, but that being said, it's um, it's not safe, legal, and rare anymore. That's not even the argument. The argument is that it's wonderful and you should shout it and you should uh, celebrate it. And how many have you had? And put it on your lapel pin, which is a nauseating display of at least at least historically, everybody sort of knew that it was a maybe you know their argument was a necessary evil. I disagree with that too at this point. But I at least I can I can empathize with people believing that some things that are really bad are necessary. Um, they're not even there and they're not even hiding it. 
So yeah, trying to loop that in, it's a fundamental, like mainstream Christian position that abortion is a problem in this country and that we are one of the biggest problems internationally uh, because very few people have the unrestricted access to, to killing a baby as far down the line. And then moreover, the craziest thing for me as a father is that, you know, when I was a kid, they did ultrasounds at some point, they would try and guess the, the sex and it happened, you know, late in the pregnancy or mid pregnancy. Now at seven weeks, you can hear the heartbeat of your child which I've done three times and you just go, um, you know, many women are, have a developing baby with a heartbeat before they even know that they've missed their period. And so if that is the case, the science has advanced to the point where it has affirmed a pro-life position in a way that I think is very, very difficult to abuse. And then moreover, you have these people that are arguing up, you know, from safe, legal and rare to it's a moral good. It's, it's a, it's just totally upside down, but, but uh, you know, if you're going to be trying to pick winners and losers in the uh, in the ideology and the culture battle, then the FBI has tried to pick the winner of the leftist position, which is, like I said, incredibly dangerous. Two things. One, I was stunned at, first of all, the silence. So there was an amazing thing from, I think it was 20 attorney generals that took this up right away and said how intolerable this was. But from the religious leadership, there was veritable silence, especially from the religious leadership that purports to lead the group that's being picked on here. The Catholic leadership was very silent for a time. We, we in fact, got to the Bishop of Richmond to, to ask specifically, so eventually a statement was released. But in the interim, finally, a statement came on behalf of the U.S. bishops from Cardinal Dolan. And it's sad as how, as how weak this thing is. Let me read you just the start of it, which was so startlingly bad, because it, it seems to give some credence to the idea that there is reason for the FBI to be picking on traditional Catholics, because they start off with condemning any kind of racism and encouraging even the FBI to go for that. To speak like that in the face of an absolute attack on Catholics is unconscionable. But let me just read it to you. This was the statement from Cardinal Dolan on behalf of the U.S. bishops. This is how it starts. Let me first be clear. Anyone who espouses racism or promotes violence is rejecting Catholic teaching on the inherent dignity of each and every person. The USCCB roundly condemns such extremism and fully supports the work of law enforcement officials to keep our communities safe. To start in with that, when your own faithful are under direct attack in the most obscene way, I thought was, anyway, so far gone. It's so given to political correctness themselves that I was stunned. I don't know if you've seen that, but I'd love your reaction to it. Well, there's one word. It's cowardice. That's what that looks like. Um, but it's a pattern of cowardice that we've seen, I think, from the, from the bishops, uh, particularly in America. Uh, and I'm imagining that is the case in many places as well. Look, we saw uh, evangelicals, we saw uh, Protestants that were thrown in jail for continuing to practice their religion as they see it in places like Canada. We saw it in uh, you know one or two places in California. And overwhelmingly, what we saw was mass compliance by the, first the bishops making orders and saying that the, this must be done, and then by parish priests who are you know, in, in some ways, they, they do have a subservience where they have to do these sort of things, although I would have appreciated some resistance there as well. Um, for me, you can't have a religion that that produces or is attempting to produce 
courage in the face of evil and not show moral courage yourself. And, uh, and as we talked about before this, you know, I just, I can't, I keep harking back to the martyrs of the church. Um, and I had a discussion and I didn't actually, I didn't have this distinction in my mind, but the difference between white and red martyrs, uh, I talked to Timothy Gordon, who some of your uh, viewers may know, and he, he's a wild man and he's super fun to talk to. But what he mentioned is, is like, you know, in your case, you're a white martyr for the things that you know are right. And that's the easiest thing to do. And I agree that it was, it was like, is it's not uh, necessarily easy, but it's simple. The decision is not very difficult. It wasn't going to take my, my life as far as I can tell so far. And, uh, there was no choice. You just do the thing because you know that your children are going to living in the world. Uh, my question is always what, what world do you want to retire into? And are you willing to accept, you know, spending your pension under tyranny? And I'm not. So, you know, my position is, is was hardline about things like the COVID uh, vaccine mandate. That was one of the things that obviously got me in trouble. Um, I did whistleblowing activities about parents at school boards who didn't want, you know, CRT or, or gender ideologies thrust on their children. And so that was the other thing that I exposed um, very early on. And I'm sure that put me uh, sideways with the FBI. So be it. That's 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 what my oath requires of me. But what about the leaders of the church? Why did they roll over immediately and stop celebrating mass and space it out so that we couldn't have everybody that was in the congregation show up at the mass that they chose? And why did we space out these, uh, you know, the pews? I saw pews, you know, taped off and you can't go in here and people lose their minds about it. And everyone was wearing a mask. I've seen priests as recently as this year celebrating mass with a, with a mask on. You must be out of your mind. Um, you know, our, our ancestors in faith literally celebrated next to the rotting flesh of people in the congregation and 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 the dead that had, that had been buried in catacombs in, in Rome and they were put to death if they were found um even in my my own personal history the uh, the Cistercians that I went to middle school with they escaped under the iron curtain some of them you know as world war II was coming to a close and some of them thereafter because there were some pretty old guys there were guys in their late 80s um when I was you know uh, in my early teens or or even younger they escaped under machine gun fire and German shepherds. They escaped through barbed wire and minefields in order to come to the United States so they could freely celebrate the mass. And to know that those people have, like I've met in my lifetime, you know, went through that and, and we were scared of what, maybe a government fine. Um, we were, we were shutting down the cry room uh, at the church that I went to in Springfield, Virginia, and it was an enormous cry room. And children were not affected and it, basic science was in place. And it's like, we wanted to assume the risk of being able to put our children and put them in, you know, so we could attend the Eucharist. And in the meantime, they were saying, stay home and watch it on TV. And, and for me, that cowardice is now just displayed in that letter in the same way. It goes back several years of rolling over. And when you start with an acknowledgement of something that is, it, it's, it's like saying Catholics uh, believe in Jesus Christ as a savior. Like we already know that nobody is allowed to be a bigot and nobody is allowed to have discrimination. In fact, it was one of the things that I, that I uh, disclosed to the FBI and why I wouldn't test myself for COVID every 72 hours. Cause that was the, that was the, um, the compliance attempt. They said, either get the shot or you must test for COVID every 72 hours to show your compliance and obedience. And my answer was, I'm not going to discriminate against anybody. Like we know anybody can get the virus. That's how viruses work. So either everybody tests or nobody tests. And I, and I include myself in that. I'm not going to allow discrimination against myself. Where are the, the Catholic bishops saying we are not going to allow discrimination against ourselves, first and foremost? And of course, we believe all the things that we believe. That's why this is so abhorrent. It's it's not something that is anywhere near a Catholic teaching. And there is no evidence that I can see that anybody believes those things in the Catholic Church, at least not anybody that's you know actually uh, practicing and shows up to traditional service. It's absurd. It's like on its face. It's absurd, which is why there's been such a big backlash, obviously. We should talk about that for a minute. You're being removed from the FBI. What went down there? 
it was in October of 2021 where uh, the enforcement of the the Biden administration uh, vaccine mandate came down. Um, I'd already had COVID. Uh, I had some very serious concerns about the development of the uh, vaccine shots using, you know, hex cells and things like that. This would be a human embryonic tissue. And so based on that, I, I was a conscientious objector to the shot. And I had some medical concerns too. But essentially, I remember at 15 years old, I was at uh, the Jesuit High School in Dallas, and I attended a traveling exhibition of the, the Holocaust Museum. And one of the things that stuck with me, and it stuck with me for you know what, uh, over 25 years at this point, you talk about um, that not only can you not tolerate things like what went on in the Holocaust, but we can't benefit from any of the things they did. And they did horrific experiments on human beings, right? Um, they they vivisected twins and to see if they were the same on the inside. They would drown one and then put the other one and see who could handle you know hot water longer or they would burn them and things like this. So, and, and they used that medical data and all of that was sworn off. Um, they were all sworn off under the Nuremberg uh, trials and after the trials, that we would never use that information because even though it was valuable to understand how human beings operate, we we can't use that information. In the same way, I believe fetal cells are the same deal. It, you know, you're, you're basically using a sin and trying to find a good at it. That's not something we can tolerate. So that was my objection. Um, on top of that, like I said, October 27th, I went to Congress with a, a letter that said the FBI was going to be investigating parents under this threat tag that was the EDU officials um, it's like a hashtag, but it's an, it's a, a threat tag that goes into different cases and it flags Intel for these types of products that you that we're talking about here, the, the Catholic uh, document. And so that was a big problem to me. And then, you know, the argument came back, well, like, we're not saying we're going to investigate parents. And it's like, well, what do you think the FBI does? They do investigations. It's literally in the name. You know, it's part of the brand. Investigations is the purpose of the FBI. We don't write term papers. We go talk to people. We do investigations. And if we find crimes, then we arrest them. We take them to jail. We prosecute them with the DOJ. That's the purpose of the entity. So to argue otherwise is either ignorant or it's uh, being disingenuous. And I don't care which one it is because both are wrong. Um, so I went to Congress with that. And uh, at the same time, as I said, I wasn't going to do these, these COVID uh, tests or shots or any of that. So I was told to stay home in November of 21, December of 21. In January, I came in and qualified for my firearm. I was removed from duty at that point and put on AWOL status, which I didn't even know existed. So then I just kind of found myself sort of in this persona non gratis kind of position. And then everything changed after the State of the Union when uh, the Biden administration changed all the rules on, on March 4th. Um, after he went out and spoke because he wanted people in Congress to be able to show up without a mask so he could look like he was doing a great job, a very blatant and, and obvious political move. So I got to go back into the office on March 4th. And, uh, and that was very weird because I hadn't been there in 100 days. <laughs> and, and I was obviously a person who had done some, you know, agitating. And so uh, I was removed from from the uh, the office six days later or six weeks later, rather. They pulled my badge, my gun, my, my pension or my paycheck and all that. And uh, on June 1st, I was indefinitely suspended for being unprofessional to a police officer. But uh, people can go to my Rumble channel and check out the video. I'm, I'm very transparent about it. And they can also check out the 68-minute audio call that I taped with the investigator who was investigating me, who mentioned that I didn't do anything illegal or immoral or unethical, but it didn't look good. And she didn't like it because of the way the wind was blowing and also the temperature and the humidity and other absurdities that were very, you know, very transparent. So they can go and see it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all about like, look, if you think that I'm not credible, then you should go and see for yourself and make your own decision. And, uh, and people who are transparent, tend to be more credible. Um, people also told me I speak so quickly that they know I'm not lying, <laughs> which I think it's really funny. It drives my mother nuts. But uh, but I speak quickly enough because I'm just saying the things that I know are true. And uh, and I don't have time to fabricate anything on it. So, uh, and, and that's that's why I got removed. Uh, they've argued otherwise. They've argued in court that I'm not a whistleblower, despite the fact that the, you know, the House uh, GOP knows that I am. And uh, I continue to make disclosures, uh, including this week, obviously. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing it. 
that's what needs to be done. I don't get paid for it. There's no money involved. That's why people can support us by watching our show and maybe we can monetize that one day. But moreover, the FBI belongs to the American people. That's who pays for it. And that's my belief. And so the people in the FBI that know that, and there's a lot of them, they want this information out. So we're going to do that. We're going to put it out there and let people see it. And, um, you know, the FBI doesn't like that. Intelligence agencies don't like you talking about the things that make them look bad. That's sort of the big nature of it. There is something that I think you can really help uh, your fellow Catholics with, especially those who are a target. In the document, they talk about, it's about investigating them, but it's also about infiltrating into the ranks of these traditional Latin mass Catholics. That's really scary because then what? You Then you're just in with those you think are your brothers and sisters communing with you at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and then after Mass and, and whatever. How do we confront that? What, what are we supposed to make of that? Um, you know, where, where do we go from here? The way you deal with it is by being a good Catholic, by being someone who, uh, who lives your faith. And there's one of two possible outcomes. Uh, outcome one is the if somebody were to infiltrate, and I don't think that's been done yet, but I can't I can't say that it hasn't with any you know definitive uh, comfort. If somebody has been infiltrating the church, the answer is is that they are going to find nothing because your church is a place that that, that practices Catholicism, and that is that is antithetical to any of the things that they were looking for. That's part one, uh, and part two is potentially the example of your faith turns their heart too. And they become a convert or they or they um, they realize the error in what their ways is. And then they bring the next piece of information to me. So that that's the way you just live your faith. And it's the same thing that has always happened under persecution. You know that it exists. You know that there are things that are um, that that represent injustice in the world. And then you don't be preoccupied about them. You just work to be a, a source through your own example of uh, of courageously living the way that you are you're called to. And so that, that's the easiest thing I can think of. It's it's actually just keep doing what you're doing and do it well and know that, um, you know, being tested is part of it. Uh, somebody said, you know, if you get arrested, at least you'll have a lot of things to uh, to offer up. <laughs> I guess that's true. But that that's, a you know, I think Mark Howe told me that. That's what he did. You know, he was arrested for for doing what he believes is correct. And I think he is also correct by fighting against abortion and and and, you know, trying to help people make a better decision. And he was put in jail for it. So. Um, you know, blessed are you for being persecuted in this case, right? Um, that's the real thing. So take it on as a as a badge of honor, and then and then live your faith. That's the easiest thing anybody can do, uh, and also the hardest thing, probably. I think in in some ways, they will find what they're looking for if they're looking for anti-abortion activists, and they're looking for people who are you know into the Latin Mass and uh, into the traditions of the teaching of the faith who won't swerve on the whole LGBT agenda and all that stuff. They will find that. <laughs> so. Yes, luckily that's what's supposed to happen. So once again, um, you know, the government is is required to remain agnostic, and and moreover, even when it comes to the things like we know that the ideological veil was dropped in this product. Um, the writer doesn't talk about abortion and action. Uh, he talks about, and, and I'm pretty confident it's a he based on uh, some conversations I've had. He talks about abortion rights. Okay, he lets the he lets the veil fall another time and talks about uh, you know the rights of pregnant persons to terminate a pregnancy. There are no pregnant persons. I'll, I'll be very emphatic about that. I know a pregnant person and it's a woman. Like that was my, you know, that's, that's what my wife was. This is how you end up with children. I don't know if anybody's like mystified by this, but for thousands of years, there was no question about it. And uh, and suddenly we're so smart in this postmodern existence with this very like cultural Marxist attitude that we can negotiate what biological fact is. And it's absurd and it's sad, 
but that that doesn't stop any normal person from living and and you can't even live the way that these people do. I'll share with something I think is just kind of funny as a as an anecdote to people's frustration with this because it is frustrating to see this attitude coming at you, right? And uh, and here's what I think is fun: the cultural Marxists, the people that um, you know this espouse a socialist or a communist type agenda that is very antithetical to religion and they're um, they're hateful of it. My father-in-law is one of these people. Um, he's a nice man, but he doesn't believe in religion, and it makes him viscerally angry. And he's sort of a Marxist at heart. That's his belief. You cannot be a Marxist without Christianity, and you don't have Christianity without Catholicism going back 2,000 years. None of these things exist because the innate value of the poor is a, it's not a Judeo-Christian tradition, it's a Christian tradition, right? Like that fundamental value, where do they think they got that from? Nobody believed that the poor were, were a value until, you know, we had the sacrifice of Christ saying that, that that's what that all people have value. And so they're espousing a Christian tradition, even without meaning to. And for me, that's funny. And I just remind them that when they wake up with that headache every morning, that's called cognitive dissonance. That's their ideas banging into facts on a regular basis and disagreeing with themselves and hitting the side of their head. And, and that's okay. Like, that's great. Like just, you know, we have to just love people. We're supposed to love our enemies, but these are not even our enemies. These are just people that don't understand what's going on. And so live the example. Kyle, that's absolutely beautiful. Where can people go to get more from you again? Just look up Kyle Serafin on anywhere I know. But um, when are you writing a book? So I was offered a book deal, which is funny. And um, and my wife and I were laughing about it because I, I don't have the bandwidth to sit and write a book at the moment because what a, I'm I'm moving too quickly, as the FBI lady uh, told me. I'm, I'm just moving too quickly. Um, but I think that there's a more to this story. I think it's still coming. And so I will maybe start putting down some of the words. I sat, I mean, I could write all day long. I sat down for an hour and a half and I put 3000 words on the page, but I don't know if anybody wants to read it and I, I don't want to read it. So that, that doesn't tell me the story is there yet. Uh, I'm waiting for that moment where, when it makes sense to me, if it, if it does. Uh, but but what I spend a lot of time on is, is uh, True Social and Twitter. Um, I despise social media by by default, uh, as a former intelligence, uh, you know, uh, employee in, in, in the intelligence community, that's just not my, my nature to be very public. And yet, uh, that's what's being asked of me, I think. And so I'm doing it. And, uh, the reward is that many people want to follow the, the account. So at Kyle Serafin on truth at Kyle Serafin on Twitter at Kyle Serafin on YouTube at Kyle Serafin or slash Kyle Serafin on rumble. And, um, and then the Kyle Serafin show and any of the podcast kind of places you go, all those things are just me trying to share the message as best I can. And uh, I continue to, you know, if I can't get somebody to publish it, I'll just publish it myself. And it turns out that there are a lot of people that want to hear it. I think this Catholic document hit what my buddy Steve Friend calls um, the thermal exhaust port. If people remember Star Wars and the Death Star, like they take it down by going through the exhaust port. Uh, in, in many ways, this this was a was a major misstep and it was only one person, but it represents a lot of that culture that I've seen in the FBI. So uh, people are more and more hungry. They're opening their eyes up to it. They're saying, you know, is our government looking after us? And it, and it is, um, particularly if you're a conservative and a Christian and, and a Catholic specifically in this case. So that's where they can find it and, you know, boost the signal. And, and I'm, I'm trying to speak to all the Catholic places that want to do it. It's not, it's not what I set out to do. I don't see myself as a, you know, some sort of example in the Catholic church. I'm a, I do my best and I'm probably a mediocre Catholic I'm, on my best days. I do the best to try to live it. But, uh, but you know, we, we try to rise to the occasion when, when things are asked of us. So hopefully I'm doing that. Kyle Serafin, thank you so much. Thank you also to your wife and your family who are letting you do what you're doing. God bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.
Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.